Hello. During worship, I had this, um, and I, I don't just, I just want to share it with you. An interesting um, experience during worship. Has anybody ever had, um, have you ever smelled something that wasn't there, like like in worship? Yeah, this morning during worship, um, I was, you know, over, over here, and there was just a moment partway through where I had a, a fragrance, and that hasn't that hasn't left. I even leaned over to Renee. I'm like, "Do you sm- do you smell this?" And it was so strong. Like it wasn't there, and then it was there. And the, I think it was like the the fragrance of like tea tree oil, but it wasn't where I was. And then it was there, and then it hasn't left me. I can still, even up here, I can still smell it. It was so so interesting, and so it's just you know. I don't know. It's a sign and a wonder. You know? I take it as it's pointing to Jesus and it's making me wonder. I don't know what it means. But I just thought I would, I would, I would share that. I don't know. Come on. See? Right in the, in the opposite corner from where I was. You know? I don't know. We'll pray into it and see what, uh, what the Lord has. Maybe it has to do with my message. Today we're starting a, a series on the presence of God that will take us from now until uh, till about Easter time. We are a people of his presence. So much so that we don't just, you know, we don't just say it, but we've, we've put it in and stated it as one of our values. If you remember back to our last series, Renee talked about this. It was a focus on Jesus. See, our eyes are always fixed firmly on Jesus. Always. Our passion is his presence, and that takes priority over everything. So we want to look at over the next several weeks what being a people of his presence, what does that mean? And what happens when we make God's presence a priority and a focus in our lives? What happens? What 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 takes place in our lives? What takes place in our church family? So today we're going to start by looking at Second uh, Samuel chapter six. So if you've got your Bibles, you can you can turn there, and we'll get there in just a moment. But I want to be able to give a little bit of the backstory to where where we're going to pick up the story. So where that where we're going to start reading, we find that the Ark of the Covenant is in the house of Abinadab. It had been captured by the Philistines in a battle with Israel, and the Ark was captured. And the Philistines brought it back to one of their cities as a trophy of war, as a trophy of battle, as a signal of what they had accomplished. But when they brought it back into their city, they they brought it into one of their temples and they set it up in front of one of their their idols, this massive statue, I believe it's of the, the idol, it's called Dagon. And they put it in the temple. Then they went off and they went to sleep. They woke up the next morning and this giant statue was laying face down in front of the ark. They walked in and they, they went through all the effort to raise this giant statue back up again. The next morning they came in and the statue was not only laying down in front of the ark again, but it was missing its head and its hands. Strange things began to take place in their cities. It actually talks about um, how they began to have tumors in their growing area. I know that's awkward. Some translations translated as hemorrhoids. They had these tumors, and these tumors were killing people. 
And so these strange things started taking place. And they actually tried to move the ark around to different cities within the, within the Philistine nations. And the, the rulers of those cities were like, we're like, no, 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 no. That thing is not coming here. I saw what happened to you guys. And so what they, what they ended up doing, after seven months of this, they picked the, the ark up, they put it on a cart. They attached the cart to two cows. And they were like, okay, you know what? Wherever this thing goes, that's where it's going to go. We're not, we're not going to guide it. We're not going to direct it. So they got the cows moving, and then they just kind of watched it go. And it ended up in Abinadab's house, which is back in Israel. David became king. And he knew, they, they knew where the ark was. They just kind of left it at Abinadab's house. But David wanted to bring the ark to his house in Jerusalem. And his goal was establishing 24-7 worship before the Ark of the Covenant. This is something that had never been done before. See, the Ark was the one physical place in the Old Testament where God promised to meet with his people. It says in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22, There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the Ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So the, the ark is this big wooden, wooden box, and it's overlaid in gold, and it's got a lid. And on top of the lid, there are two cherubims, which, which are like um, angels. And their, their wings are stretched forward, covering the lid. And it's called the mercy seat. And God promises that I will meet you there above the mercy seat. So wherever the ark was, there the presence of God was. So when we, in the story, when you, when we talk about ark, when you read ark, think the presence of God. Okay, so we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to read, I think we're going to read till, uh, till verse 17. So we're going to read, we're going to read a chunk here. It says, um, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David rose and went with all those who were with him. To bring up from there to Jerusalem the ark of God, which is called by the name. It's just called the name. The very name of the Lord of hosts who dwells enthroned above the cherubim. His presence dwells and is enthroned above the cherubim, which is on the ark. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Ahio was walking in front of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all of the house of Israel were celebrating and dancing before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir or cypress wood, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out with his hand to the ark and took hold of it because the oxen stumbled and nearly overturned it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah. And God struck him there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. David became angry and grieved and offended because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place had been called Perez Uzzah. Outburst against Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David, which is Jerusalem, with him. And said he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now King David was told that the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom. 
and all that belongs to him because of the ark of the Lord. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with rejoicing and gladness. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord by its poles had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with great enthusiasm. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which is a priest's upper garment. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord up to the city of David with shouts of joy and the sounds of the trumpet. And we're going to drop down to verse 17. It says, They brought in the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt sacrificings and peace offerings before the Lord. So David takes the ark from Abinadab's house and he places it on a new cart. And this new cart was being pulled by oxen. You know who else? You remember who else put the ark on a cart? The Philistines. The Philistines also had placed the ark on a cart. See, using a cart was just imitating what the Philistines had done. But you see, David put his own spin on it. The Philistines just used a, a it's just called, a, it's just a cart. And it was pulled by cows. But David, David used a new cart. This is something brand new. And instead of cows, he had it pulled by oxen. You know, it doesn't matter how great the new thing is, whatever the new thing is, if God's not in it. Church, too often, we're guilty of following the world instead of following God. We look at, we look at what culture has done and what culture is doing and what's, what's popular. And, and, and instead, of, instead of pulling on the creativity of God, right? Because God lives inside of us, so the creator lives inside of us. And so instead of pulling on the creativity of the creator who lives inside of us, we look at what the world's doing and we think, how can we take that and how can we use that for the kingdom of God? Instead of following his leading in our lives, and we make cheap imitations of what the world does. See, we were, we were called to be innovators and not imitators. Creators and not replicators. Why is it that we look at what the world does and we try and fit it in to the kingdom of God? See, David, David's guilty of what I call new cart worship. This is worshiping God, worshiping Jesus without actually engaging him. See, he had all the music, he had all the singers, he had all the dancers, but they didn't actually engage with the presence of God. They were near the presence, but not carrying the presence. And it's never good. It's never good when someone or something else is doing the work of the ministry to the Lord on our behalf. When we relegate carrying the presence of God to something or someone else. So, like, how do we apply this? What can this look like in our context? Well, the worship team is up here and they're leading us in worship. But we don't actually engage. We just stand there. Or sometimes we sit down. Or sometimes we wonder, what's the score of the game right now? What's happening at, you know, that other church? And we pull out our phones and we start searching on social media and Instagram and we're not engaged. We're near the presence of God, but we're not actually engaged with the presence of God. It can, also, it can also look like listening to worship music in your car, but you're listening to worship music in your car like it's a top 40 radio station, and you're not actually engaged with the worship. You're just nearby. Someone else is worshiping, and you're just nearby. It's just playing kind of in the background. 
It could look like coming to church week after week, month after month, Sunday after Sunday, but not actually growing, not actually maturing in your relationship with Jesus. It's doing nothing with what God has given you for your life. You just say the same month after month, year after year. You don't grow. You don't mature. See, it's, it's my responsibility to engage with the presence of God. It's your responsibility to engage with the presence of God, to carry the presence. And when I defer that responsibility to someone else, it's new cart worship. See, they were never supposed to put the ark on a cart in the first place. The Philistines did that and it got to where it was and David was like, well, that seemed to work for them. Let's just make it a little bit better. We'll use a brand new cart that's never been used on anything before because I don't want to give God something that's a hand-me-down. cart was obviously man-made. See, using the cart was trying to accomplish kingdom advancement through the efforts of man. It's natural independence instead of supernatural partnership. See, that's what we're called to. Supernatural partnership. Psalms 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Jesus in Matthew 16 said, I will build my church. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say to his disciples, you build my church. He spoke to Peter, and who, this is where, where Peter says, well, you are the Christ. And he says, yes. He calls him the rock, and he said, I, on the rock, I will build my church. And the rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. In John 15 and verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches, if if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing of eternal significance. We can do nothing of eternal value. We can do nothing that will last apart from Jesus. We can do lots of things that are impressive. Don't get me wrong. We can do many very impressive things. Things that people will look, stand back and be like, wow, look at what they're doing. Look at how great they are. Look at what they built. Look at them. They're so impressed. Does anybody want to impress Jesus? Or are we just looking to impress people? You know what impresses Jesus? Obedience impresses Jesus. Faithfulness impresses Jesus. You want to make Jesus stand back and go, wow, live a life of faith, right? The Roman centurion who came to Jesus to heal his servant, Jesus said, I'll come. I will, I will come with you to your house. And he said, no. For He said, I'm a man under authority. I'd say to my, this one, my servant, go here and he goes there. That one, go there and he goes there. He understood authority. And so he said, Jesus, just release the word. And Jesus said, Wow. I have never seen such faith like this, not even in Israel. You want to wow Jesus? You want to impress Jesus? Live a life of faith. Be obedient. Be faithful to what he calls you to do. They're moving the, new, they're moving the ark. It's on the new cart. There is no shortage. There is no lack of excitement. There's no lack of emotion. There's no lack of passion. But passion and emotion and excitement were not what God was looking for. He wasn't looking for the music and he wasn't looking for the melodies and he wasn't looking for the songs. He was looking for people to carry his presence. 
We cannot pass off carrying the presence of God to anything or anyone else. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to carry the presence of God. So in the midst of the celebration for the presence of God, the oxen pulling the, the new cart, the oxen stumbles and, and the cart tips. And so Uzzah, who's walking beside it, he reaches his hand up because who wouldn't do that? I mean, you know, like if, if, a, if a cup is falling and you're nearby, you're going to reach to grab it. You're gonna, he's going to stop, try and stop the ark from tumbling over onto the ground. And he reaches out and he takes hold of the ark and he drops dead. He dies and it says for his irreverence, casually interacting with the presence of God. Remember, remember it said Uzzah was Obed-Edom's son. He had spent three months around the presence of God. The presence of God, the ark was in his house. And he got a little bit casual with the presence of God. This is quite the thing that happened. right? We, we read it and, 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 and our English translation really dumbs it down from what the Hebrew describes. See, in the, in the Hebrew... In the Hebrew language, Uzzah's death paints an actual, it's a gruesome picture as a violent bursting or exploding death. See, David called that place Perez Uzzah, which literally means, the literal translation is the explosion against Uzzah. It's almost as if when he reached out and grabbed hold of the ark, he exploded. It's not like he just dropped dead, but he was like, See, if God isn't in what we're doing, it will not last. God wasn't in being carried around by a new cart pulled by oxen. We can never forget that God is God. Yes, he is our father. We sang it today. He's, a, he's our good, good father. And yes, Jesus is our brother. We call Holy Spirit. He's our best friend. We've got this intimate relationship with God. But he is still God. We must always have reverence and awe in our hearts for him. But Pastor Craig, that, that you know, exploding of people because they're irreverent in God's presence, well, that, that was the Old Testament. That didn't, those things don't happen on this side of the cross where, where you know, when, when Jesus died and he was raised again, the veil was torn in two and we have, we have access. I'd have to say that Ananias and Sapphira would disagree with that. Acts chapter 5. They lied to the Holy Spirit and both of them dropped dead. I mean, that's this side of the cross. We don't, we don't like to talk about that. Why? Because we don't understand that. And now everyone who's lied to the Lord is like, oh, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. If you tip over, it's okay. We've got young men that will carry you out. Come on, <laughs> that's a reference to the story in Acts 5. Ananias comes in, he, he lies to the Holy Spirit, he falls down dead, and Peter calls in, just calls him young men to carry him out and bury him. I'm sorry, that was a bad joke. Our God is an awesome God. He is an all-consuming fire. The Old Testament says that he is a jealous God. In fact, it says his name is jealous. He is jealous for you. Don't lose your reverence for him.
So three months pass. David begins hearing the stories of how the blessing of the Lord has come to Obed-Edom's house and all of his family. It's just, it's resting on him because the ark, the presence of God is there. See, there's a, there's a measure of blessing and favor that only comes when you host the presence of God. This is what Obed-Edom was experiencing. He was hosting the presence of God. It's from the closeness of God. Some things are reserved for people that prioritize his presence. I mean, you, I mean you, can, you can be a Christian. You can go through life serving and, and following Jesus, and you don't have to prioritize his presence. Right, I'm, I like, like. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm, this is. I'm not talking salvation stuff. This is not going to. This is not going to jeopardize your salvation. Right, you can have that 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 grace, mercy, forgiving relationship with Jesus, and at the end of your life, He will welcome you in. But there are things that are reserved for those that prioritize His presence that no one else sees, that no one else experiences. These are encounters and experiences, manifestations, blessing, it's favor, it's influence, it's increase, it's open door opportunities, it's encounters with the spirit world, with with angelic encounters, it's miracles, it's signs, it's wonders, and it's so much more. And we will only see these things if we become people that literally carry his presence. We prioritize his presence and we focus on his presence. So David returns to where he left the ark at Obed-Edom's house and he, to bring the ark to Jerusalem. But this time, this time it's different. See, the ark is carried on the shoulders of the, of the Levitical priests like God intended. In Deuteronomy 31 and verse 9, it says, The sons of Levi who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. See, God ordained and gave the sons of Levi, the Levitical priest, the role of carrying the ark, the presence of God on their shoulders. See, on, on the ark, there were these rings, and they, they, they slid their poles that stayed in the rings. And it was just below the lid, there's rings on the four corners, and these poles, these six-foot-long poles, and they, were, they carried the ark of the presence on their shoulders because that's God's, this is a foreshadow. This is a foreshadow of after the resurrection of Christ where we become the carriers of the presence of God. See, God never intended and never wanted and desired to fill buildings. He wants to fill people. We are, see, we are the ones who are created by God's hands, right? David writes in Psalms, you are knit together in your mother's wombs by the very hands of God. Those are the things that are meant to carry the presence of God. Not a cart that we built with our hands. Not this thing that we create. But it's what God created. We carry his presence. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells within you? There are no shortcuts to his presence. This is not a microwave, you know, hit 30 seconds and Jesus shows up and and we get wrecked. This is slow cooker Christian life. This is is putting the meat, the ribs in the smoker at 4 o'clock in the morning because they got to be in there for 12 hours so the, the meat falls off the bone. Yeah, it's getting close to lunch. There's no rushing 
to get what you want. We are on God's time. See, being people of his presence, that means that, that we take time. It means that we make time. We make time for his presence. Where we set aside our agenda. We set aside the things that we want. And it's just about him. I'm just here for you. See, they began to carry the ark. And it says every six steps, right? Think about this. Every six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. They stopped. And they sacrificed an ox and a fatling, which is basically like a fatted calf or a lamb. One, two, three, four, five, six. And they stopped. As I'm reading this and preparing for this, I thought to myself, how far is Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem? Like, six steps is not very far. So I looked. His house was 3.1 miles or 5 kilometers from Jerusalem. Every six steps there was a sacrifice. There are approximately 1,300 steps in a kilometer. 1,300 steps times 5 kilometers gets you 6,500 steps. You divide that by 6. Every 6 steps they sacrificed, there was 1,083 sacrifices. Imagine the time that it took to get to Jerusalem. You can walk 3.1 miles in like an hour. Or like an hour and 10, 15 minutes, depending on how fast you walk. I don't know how long it takes to sacrifice two animals, but it can't be quick. Because the process is, they slit the throat of the animal and they allow the blood to run out onto the ground. There's a, there's this, it's, it's a process. It, this doesn't happen quickly. And once the blood runs out onto the ground and drains out of the animal, they cut the animal up and then they burn it. They cremate it. Every six steps. There is something family, there is something about taking time to minister to the Lord. Taking time to prioritize His presence. I know, we've all got stuff to do. But at the end of the day, it's just stuff. It's all just stuff. I know you got weeds to pull and lawns to mow and, and you know, maintenance on the house and, and you know, I gotta run errands and we have to get groceries and we, you know, we, we gotta get the kids here and we gotta pick the kids up over. I, I know we've all got stuff, but at the end of the day, it's just stuff. Have you ever run a race? Has anybody ever signed up for like a 5K or a 10K half marathon? Or you real crazy people sign, wave at me if it's been a marathon. Not, we, don't have any of that. we don't have any of those people here. <sighs> Jason, he's, he's absent today. He's done it a couple times. You know, those marathon people, like that's wild. That's, that's crazy stuff. Standing at the starting line of the race that you signed up for, signing up for the race, those are the things that are exciting. I mean, if you've, you've gone, you know, like, at the starting gate, there's people everywhere, music is pumping, the adrenaline is rushing, they've got this tall platform where there's, there's people that are up there and they're talking and hyping the crowd, and then they, they you know, the, they, they go, the, 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 the pistol goes off or whatever, and everybody goes, and it's this exciting, man, it's awesome, it's such a rush. It's also exciting when you finish. 
You cross the finish line, it's the same kind of atmosphere. The music is pumping. They give you orange slices and bananas when you run across the line. It's almost like you were a little kid again at soccer practice. You know, you, got, you get these, these treats. The, there's pictures. They take your picture. They give you a medal. And then you, you kind of come out of, the, out of that area. And then there's all the vendors that are just giving you free stuff. Like, it's all kinds of free things, and it's this, this party atmosphere, and sometimes there's literally like a dance party and all that, that other stuff. But it's exciting to finish. You accomplish something hard. You know what's not exciting? The middle. The middle sucks. You're grinding out the miles. Step after step. The crowds are gone because they're at the beginning at the end. And you might see, you know, there's what they do to help make sure people don't just quit. They'll put like three people every, every mile or two that hold little signs. You're almost there. You're not almost there. You've got 10 miles to go. That's depressing. But it's a grind. It's the mundane middle. There's not much going on. You're doing the same thing over and over and over. And what is that? One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. I'm sure David and all of the people were excited for the first couple dozen sacrifices. But then there was sacrifice 485. That came after step 2,910. Man, that sacrifice is a grind. That's when passion and excitement, they're gone. Now it's work. We don't like to talk, and you know what, have you ever carried something for like if you're, carried something on your shoulders or on your back for a long time? Like these four guys, the same four guys are carrying the ark and they're holding it up. I can't be light. It's a big wooden box covered in gold. It's not light. We don't like to talk about it, but there are times in pursuing the presence of God that are mundane. And if we're honest, they're a little bit boring. But there is something to the faithful, consistent pursuit of the presence of God by his people. Because God wastes nothing. There's not a moment in his presence whether you are excited to be there or really want to go and do something else that's wasted. There's not a moment, there's not a cry of your heart, there's not a longing or a desire after him that is ever wasted. He is there whether you feel him or not, and sometimes he just says, I'm just going to like step back my felt presence. I'm here, I am all here, but you don't know I'm here. And he doesn't allow us to feel that he's there. And then there's those times when he is like, I am all in. And you just feel the weighty presence of God and you are broke and there's no words. And you are weeping and, and mumbling. And you, there's just, there's, there's, no, there's no words to describe what you're feeling. We live for those we live for those moments. I look back over my life and I think, man, there are these times of encounter with God that I can't even begin to describe what that felt like. Like there's no words for it. I love those. But no less valuable and precious is the mundane middle in between those things. There is something to be said about taking six steps and stopping. People often wonder 
where the God of the book of Acts upper room is. I wonder where the people of the upper room are. Jesus told those people to wait. <laughs> That's all they got. Before Jesus, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, before he ascends and, and goes up to the Father, he says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of, what, of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he just tells them to wait. How, how long? No, no, wait. But, but I've got, wait. Don't go anywhere. Just wait. What are we waiting for? Just wait. What's it going to look like? Just wait. What's it going to feel like? Just wait. I don't know what we're waiting for. But there they were, 120 people in the upper room waiting, not going anywhere. I mean, you don't want to be, <laughs> you don't want to be the one that had to go to the bathroom and you missed it. Like they all just, I don't know how they worked that, but there they were. They were all just waiting. Waiting on the presence of the Holy Spirit to fall. No time frame given. Where are the waiting people? Where are those that will do anything to be carriers of his presence? Where are those that, that will pay whatever cost it is, that will sacrifice whatever it is to encounter Jesus, to experience the Holy Spirit? Are we new cart people trying to get somewhere quick on our own power just to impress people? Or are we carriers of his presence? Are we the waiters? Are we the seekers? Are we upper room people? Are we six-step people? What are you willing to sacrifice before the Lord to encounter his presence? Am I willing to walk six steps and stop and wait and cry out for him and walk six steps and pause and wait and minister to him and tell him how worthy he is and how holy he is and how lovely he is and walk six steps and tell him again how worthy he is and how lovely he is and how, how, how valuable he is to you and how holy he is and then walk six steps and do it again and again and again praying, longing, ministering to him are we willing to do whatever it takes to be carriers of his presence? Because that's our calling. We are called to be people of his presence. See, and when he's present with us, things happen. I love that song. Brian and Katie Torwalt's song. That's, it's from, you know, like 2010. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Sometimes I wonder if he walks into the room and we've already left because we were tired of waiting and everything changed and we just missed it. We are called to be people of his presence because when he's present, things happen. When the presence of Jesus is with you, he is present to heal, to strengthen to provide, to encounter, to give rest, to give wisdom, to give guidance, so much more. And this, this is what we'll explore over the coming weeks. When the presence of God is with you, he is present too. And that's what we're going to explore. It all starts with being people that will do whatever it takes to pursue and to carry his presence. 
I just want you to close your eyes. We, we don't even need music. We don't, we don't need singers. We don't need people leading us in song. We just need him. We just need Jesus. It's his presence. It's all we're after. His heart, his presence. Holy Spirit, teach us to be waiting people. Teach us how to be upper room people. for a moment we just we wait for you Father I know it's time to go but we pause and we wait because I just want to be with you Jesus, forgive us for the times when we have imitated. We saw things that we thought were cool in, in culture, and we imitated and we tried to make it fit to the kingdom. Where we followed the world instead of following you. We're not called to look like them. We are in the world. We are not of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Right now, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Somehow, we're two places at the same time. We're here and we're there. But while we're here, Father, we wait. I ask you to come. Only you know what your people need. Holy Spirit, come. You mark us. You change us. It's, it's you. It's your presence. That's how people know that we're different. God, the cry of Moses comes up from within us. Do not send us up from this place if you don't go with us. Because how will they know that we are your people and that we're different than anybody else if you are not with us? Father, we are carriers of your presence. You're the priority. You're the focus. Is there anyone here, and, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered and said, you're, you're my God, it's your, it's your way, I want to live for you. If you never have and you want, I just want you to just lift your hand. I'm going to ask you to respond. 
just going to ask you to respond simply. Sometimes it's easy for us to, you know, we could, we could all come forward and we could all gather and we could wait for a time together. But that's the starting line, right? That's when it's exciting. We're all doing it together. You know, that, that real sacrifice is when you're home this afternoon and you, you just, you got a you hundred other things that you could distract yourself with. And so I'm, I'm going to, I'm asking, this is my, my ask. If you would say, yes, I am going to be an upper room person. I am going to wait on God. I'm going to be a carrier of the presence, and I don't care what it costs me. I just want you to stand and just keep your eyes closed because it doesn't matter how many people stand or don't stand. (laughs) Jesus, when you read through the Bible, you learn quickly Jesus is not moved by the crowds. Father, I even, my eyes are closed. I don't know who's standing and who's not. So I just say, here we are, standing as a sign of commitment to be a carrier of your presence, to prioritize your presence, to focus on you, to paying whatever price that you ask us to pay because you are worthy. You are worth it. You are worth it. You are worth it. So teach us to be seekers of your presence, upper room people that will wait on you to do whatever it takes to carry the presence of God with us wherever we go. Everyone's eyes still closed. If you're not standing, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to open your eyes. Because that was really just between you and Jesus. That's really all that was. So family, I bless you. I pray you have an incredible week encountering God. We'll see you next week.